Welcome to Between the Vines. My name is Kevin Martin. I'm here with Jennifer Phillips Russo. We're the Lake Erie Regional Grape Program, at least for now. Um, and we're here with special guest Terry Bates, who of course is the director at Clarel. Uh, if you listen to our podcast, you've had the privilege of listening to Terry before. He's what I would call our most frequent guest. And uh, I'll turn it over to Jen first. And uh, I think she had a question which sort of inspired this podcast, which came from growers at Coffee Pot Meetings. Thanks, Kevin. So in our last couple of coffee pot meetings, everybody has been mentioning how we don't have any water and they're worried about having some drought stress and if this has anything to do with our berry size and with the end, it's crop estimation time as well. So they're wondering if it plays into effect there. So I reached out to Dr. Perry, Terry, I almost called you Perry Dates, Dr. Terry <laughs> Bates, <laughs> because I know he's done some research on this in the past and he is well suited to discuss it. So thanks for joining us, Terry. Happy to be here. Yeah, you sent me an email the other day and said, hey, you're getting a little worried about the lack of water. I'm like, oh, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> um, so okay, let's just start with the berry weight question. So first of all, our we're predicting that our berry weight is going to be somewhere about 5% lower than average. And that doesn't have anything to do with the water. Um, we're actually between measuring our berry curve and measuring growing degree days prior to bloom and relating that to what the final berry weight is going to be. We're already predicting that the berry is going to be a little bit smaller than normal. Now, will the water or the lack of water um, exaggerate that? And that it, it all depends <laughs> on if we get any rain from here on out. If it stays dry, yes, it'll have a, an additional impact on berry weight. Um, I don't, we're not quite at that point yet. Like, I don't think it's affecting if somebody's out doing crop estimation right now, I don't think the berry weight, I don't think the dry weather is affecting berry weight at this time, but it could between now and harvest. So I always start with this slide. Do you have a question? No. Nope. Okay. So I always start with this slide. Usually it's in a nutrition talk because water and nutrition are so closely interrelated. Um, but what it shows is the percent soil moisture um, ranges in terms of, you know, having above field capacity and the available water range to plants. And then at what point do we hit the permanent wilting point in different soils? And that has to do with soil particle size, you know, sandy and sandy loam soils have bigger particles. Um, so they actually hold um, less water, but they hold the water less, more loosely so it's more available to the plants where a clay soil so like you think of like our niagara silt loams smaller particles holds actually more water but hold, will hold that water more tightly at the lower end of the range um so that's why these percentages change like i could just say okay we have 15 percent soil moisture right now well that's gonna mean something different depending on what kind of soil type you have so Terry, how do you know? So I think growers definitely know if they have sand, loam, or clay. But how do you know if you have clay loam or sand? Yeah. Loam? Uh, yeah. Just I wasn't going to ask because I was going to. I was thinking, you know, it's not that big of a difference. But when you look at sort of how that chart, once you get to clay loam and clay, it tapers. Like yeah, your available field capacity goes down while your permanent wilting. Yeah. So I think the best up. thing to do is just look at your county soils map, or if you get on, if you're hooked up with that Google Earth um, soils map from 
uh, UC, UC Davis. Davis. Yeah. yeah. That if you click on that soil type, like you click mm-hmm. on a Niagara silt loam or a Shenango gravel loam, it'll give you, you know, what it is in terms of percentage of sand, silt, and loam. Okay. Uh, but I would say most of our Shenango gravel loams are in this between the sandy loam and loam soil. That's usually what I go by. And then mm-hmm. say like our Niagara's are between a silt loam and a clay loam. So somewhere up here. Um, so, I mean, the first thing is if you are outside of the available water range, you got to fix those problems first, <laughs> which isn't really something we're dealing with right now in the middle of the season, but we have a lot of soils like a heavy clay soil with a high water table. You have excessive water. Like some of these conversations we're having now don't mean anything because, you know, you have such a high water table in the spring, you've limited root growth and you're having other problems. So it's important to fix, like if you have a part of your vineyard that has standing water or a high water table that you need to drain that. And on the low end, if we ever get to those ranges in soil moisture where, and we'll talk a little bit more about permanent wilting point. When you get that low where your permanent wilting point would be the plants wilting and not coming back, we don't typically see that in grapes. Um, but if you get to that point, I'll, because most of us do not irrigate, we're relying on precipitation. So that's kind of, <laughs> you're a little too late to the game if that's the case. And what we really manage is the available soil water. And we do that through our floor management conservation practices. And so there's a really good study run by Bob Poole and Alan Laxo a long time ago um, that was showing that, you know, Essentially, the things that you have in the row center that conserve more soil moisture is better for the vines in these dry years because you retain more of that available soil moisture. This whole topic that we're getting into now about soil health and cover cropping and which cover crops are the best and when to terminate those cover crops, which these are all excellent research questions, uh, are really all meant to improve the soil health and the soil moisture retention of those soils. So a healthier soil with more organic matter and and good drainage and good root growth and microorganisms all working, you're actually going to expand the available soil moisture range of that soil. Where on the other hand, if you have a very compact dead soil, you actually limit the amount of the available soil moisture range. Um, So I think all these um, projects that we're doing in terms of soil health and row middle management are very good because it's speaking directly to our water management. So this project that Bob Poole and Alan Laxo ran 1990 and 1994 had different things in the row center. And I've talked about this before in, in many of the nutrition things. So the treatments that conserve more soil moisture had larger vine size and higher yield, especially in dry years. Um, That makes a lot of sense, Um, but some of them work against the soil health, you know, cultivation and repeated use of herbicides are working against soil health, where having cover crops, you know, clover, vetch in the row centers are improving the, the soil biology and soil health, but in these dry years, anything green in the row center, because the rooting density is so much greater than grapes, 
will outcompete the grapes for water. And then so we get this reduction in photosynthesis and vine size during the dry seasons. Um, so again, we're just playing these games of row middle management to, to hit um, what we need in the vineyard. Like we could get around the whole thing by irrigating. <laughs> if we had if we had uh, a reliable source of water and the economics were there to ir irrigate our vineyards, it would make a lot of sense. Um, in the dry years, how many dry years do we get? Two out of 10. So that's where the economics plays in. Do, is, are, do we manage for the two dry years or do we manage for the eight wetter years? Bye. Okay, so where are we right now? As I said, at the lab, we're kind of a gravel loam soil. So we're, we're looking between 25 and say 10% soil moisture. And if you watch our soil, so this is a soil um, moisture meter at our weather station. And you can see how it drops. It goes from you know, about 28%, this is through June, and we didn't get any rain, and it slowly, the soil, per, the percent soil moisture was dropping, 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 to the point where I was getting really worried, and by this time, we had killed everything in the row center, because we were trying to conserve as much soil moisture as possible. Then it rained, jumped all the way back up to 30%, so we were, like, way back up here, uh, almost at field capacity, so I was, like, we're in really good shape, but it hasn't rained since then. So it's drop, 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 drop. Now we're down to about 15, 16%. I'm getting really nervous that we're running out of water. Because due to your, I'm sorry, Terry, to interrupt, but due to your chart that you're showing, should we get down to 10%, that's permanent wilting percentage? Yes, that's a great question. That's exactly where I'm going with this next is, what if we hit 10% soil moisture, our vine's gonna permanent, permanently wilt and then lose leaves and die? I mean, we never see that really because the vine actually will regulate its own water, right? So we're measuring it with a soil moisture meter. The vines are measuring or sensing the soil moisture themselves in the root systems. And then they're using like abscisic acid signals in the plants to tell the plant, hey, hey, it's getting dry. You better start doing something to conserve your own plant moisture or you're gonna die. <laughs> and it doesn't wanna do that. Um, so it does that through its stomates. So in our concord leaves, especially on the underside of our concord leaves, where the, the leaf can be really hairy, um, in, embedded within those hairs in the epidermis of those leaf cells are these guard cells, which control pores in the leaves called stomates. And when the stomates are wide open, you are exchange, doing gas exchange, right? You're doing photosynthesis. CO2 is going into the plant for photosynthesis and oxygen and water are going out. Uh, and if the plant is sensing that it's in a dry soil and things are starting to get dry, it'll, it'll close those stomates down. So the pores will close down. You'll, you'll do less gas exchange. So less photosynthesis, but you're gonna lose, you won't lose your water. So the plant is holding onto its water to survive. So we talk about stomatal conductance, which is how open or closed those pores are, gas exchange or photosynthesis, which has to do with how open and closed the, <laughs> the pores are, and midday stem potential, which is pressure bomb, which is another way of measuring vine water status. 
So we, we measure these things <laughs> because we want to know how water stressed our plants are. Um, a pressure bomb, as explaining to Jen earlier, is like if you have a sponge and it has it's soaking wet with water, you don't have to squeeze it very hard and water falls out. If you have a very dry sponge, you have to squeeze it really hard to get the water to come out. Pressure bomb works in the same way. You will take a leaf off of the vine, you'll put it in this pressure chamber with the stem sticking out of the top, and then you'll increase the pressure in the chamber. And you measure the pressure at which it causes some sap to come out of the, of the stem. And we re relate that to water stress. And that's what the chart is essentially showing at the top is when you have very high stomatal conductance, right? Those pores are wide open. You have high photosynthetic rates and you have um, less, well, you have low pressure bomb readings. They actually go negative. So like a pressure bomb reading of six is good and a pressure bomb reading of 10 or negative 10 um, is bad. You're getting stress on those vines. And when all that happens, if the, if the plants dry down, the stomates close, the rates of photosynthesis go down, and the water stress in the plant is going up and you can measure that with a pressure pump. So those are kind of the ways that we measure that. So this chart is, now that you know all that, <laughs> um, this chart is kind of shows our practical side of Concord production. Um, so down this one side is the stem potential or pressure bomb readings. In, and so this is negative. There's no water stress at negative six, negative seven, and severe water stress at minus 10, minus 11. Um, and that is also related to photosynthesis. So in this case, we have gra Concord grafted on a 3309 rootstock, which tends not to run out of water because the roots are much deeper. Um, versus own rooted vines, which are on all this side. So, you know, we take photosynthesis and pressure bond readings at the same time. I think this was probably back in 2002 or something. Um, so grafted vines tend to maintain their vine water status. Own rooted vines, because they're more shallow, tend to, you know, come under water stress earlier. That's why the floor management part of the whole thing is so important, right? Conserve that soil moisture on our own rooted vines. And then within that, you have cultivated versus sod. Again, here's the floor management. When we take away the weed competition, you were able to maintain higher vine water status than if you let sod grow in the row center and you get less photosynthesis and higher water stress. So what happens at this time of year, um, on a hot sunny day like today and the soil moisture is starting to, to drop is if you measure photosynthesis or gas, gas exchange throughout the, the course of a day, in the morning, you know, the, the vines have had all night to kind of pump back up with water and they start out in the morning and their photosynthesis is high and depending on their water stress level, the photosynthesis starts to drop. So in 3309 vines, they don't drop very much during midday because they have lots of water. Own rooted vines that were irrigated, they drop, um, but not as far as own rooted that are not irrigated. And then towards the end of the day, as the sun, the angle of the sun starts to, to go down, the photosynthetic rates start to come up. And the only difference is, so that happens on a daily basis. And if they really start to get water stressed, they don't come back up all the way and they start to go down and down. And then they just, because 
they're closing their stomates and they're trying to conserve water as much as possible. So they, if they don't come back up, the stomates are staying closed saying, please give us some more water before we'll open up again. Um, and all that does is lead to less productivity overall because your photosynthesis has gone down, right? We talk about early but incomplete periderm formation. So you may be out there going, hey, look, I'm getting some wood already, but that wood tends to not finish. And then it gets dies and freezes off once we get our first cold snap. Um, reduction in shoot growth leading to decrease in those potassium doesn't move very well. Um, that will also lead to a reduction in vine size. So the flip side of this in California, they use regulated deficit irrigation to do these things, right? So as things dry down, first you reduce shoot growth, which can help maintain a canopy. Then you can reduce berry weight. So in some red wines, you want a smaller berry weight because so, you want higher skin to pulp ratios. And then the third thing is that that photosynthesis drops and regulated deficit irrigation plays that balance. I want to reduce shoot growth. I want to reduce berry weight, but I don't want to really touch photosynthesis all that bad because I want that fruit to ripen. So with irrigation, they can play that game. For us, from verasion to harvest, on a dry year like this, we usually see early verasion, really fast bricks accumulation, um, lower TA because of the warm season that we're having. So the fruit ripens really fast. It's just that the wood doesn't ripen and we, we tend to see, you know, big hit to vine size in years like this. And then you don't come back with as big a crop. Right. The big X factors are uh, precipitation, from now or from verasion to harvest. Like, yeah, I mean, next, look at what happened last year. It was really dry in June. In July, the floodgates opened and we were too wet. Same thing here. I think we're under a little water stress, nothing too severe. If it started raining next week, we'd like be fine. Um, and then also the length of the post-harvest recovery period. If we're going to have early verasion, quick ripening, um, our crop size is not very big to begin with because we're down from last year. Um, if all that happens, we could harvest and end harvest really early, and we may have a month of recover, recovery period at the end of the season, possibly if, you know, fingers crossed if things go right. And that could help you recover your vine size for next year. So there's my little two cents on water. I think that's really cool. And I was looking at even the own rooted at this graph that you're showing right now with the leaf photos, the photosynthetic rate, it yep. recovers non-irrigated almost up to the irrigation. Yep. And it depends. The more and more stress that gets, the less that will come up at the end of the day. So um, it's just the vine's way of trying to regulate its own water. So nobody has to worry just yet, but if it continues. Yeah. Path, I mean, it, Yes. And I would say this is happening right now. So, I mean, you need to think about if my photosynthetic rate is like 24 in the morning, but it's only 12 in the afternoon. You know, I may have a really big canopy out there, but it's only doing 50% of the work in the middle of the day. When the sun is out, it should be doing a lot of work. It's not because it doesn't have enough water. Got it. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to add to sort of ease the minds of those people out there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have pray, a crystal ball? <laughs> pray, pray for rain. Um, 
you know, we typically see with our weather patterns, yes, it could be dry, it could be risky, uh, but, you know, Mother Nature usually corrects herself, so, which may not also be a good thing. We may have the wettest September on record, <laughs> if right. it happens that way. Um, but in other dry years like this, um, for this season, we're okay, because typically what we see is that the fruit ripens, we get an early harvest season. Everything's good. Uh, we just, you just need to take that into consideration for next year that your crop potential may be down because your vine size is going to go down. Which is going to take crop estimation, make it very important. Next yes. Year. Yep. Well, this kind of reminds me of one of our growers it made a comment and I know that you commented on it as well. And it just made me giggle because when my children are in school and they're really wanting a snow day, there's all of these superstitious things that they do. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, well, he did my, did my part to make it rain. I washed my truck. I left my shoes yep. outside on the deck and the pool <laughs> towels out. So maybe everyone could do a little superstitious stuff with us as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Yep. I appreciate your help and your willingness. Honestly, Dr. Terry Bates, is so much for our growers. I just questioned him in the hall and said, anyway, you want to do a podcast? He was like, uh, sure. <laughs> let me, let me get some slides together. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate your willingness to join us and help us out. Yep. As always. Anytime. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email Kevin or myself and we can make sure to get them off to the right person to get them answered. If we don't have that for you, join us next week on In Between the Vines. It's between Cornell and PSU, and we appreciate all of your comments. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone.